Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 17, 2016. The share ID for Friday, January 15th, is 8384. That's 8384. This morning, A Vision for You presents Live It Forward, Understand It Backward. The 12 steps, as clearly outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating and bring about recovery. Our spiritual awakening is a gift that instills in us a new perspective. It is accompanied by a significant change in our character and values. We are changed in the way we think, the way we feel, and especially the way we behave. The OA 12 steps, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Joining us to share her personal story of transformation is Santa H., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Santa is committed to the 12-step way of life and carrying this message of recovery so it's with great pleasure that I introduce Santa this morning. Good morning, Leah. Can I be heard okay? Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Good morning, family. My name is Santa H. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater for today. This meeting focuses on the intensive study of the big book. As a listener for this meeting, more than two and a half years, I find it hard to place into words the incredible effect that this Facebook study has had in all areas of my life, in addition to my recovery as a compulsive eater. The African proverb states, It takes a whole village to raise a child. I am grateful to my four greatest teachers, my parents, Ernest and Jackie, my ex-husband, Malaki, and my dearest friend, Sharon. And a special thank you to my spiritual teachers for your guidance and patience while encouraging the spiritual child to grow into the spiritual person I am today. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you. So I'm honored to be given an opportunity to give service on a vision for you in any way I can with my higher powers, guidance, and grace. Also, Welcome to any newcomers. You are so precious. There is great love here for you. As it is stated in the big book on page XXI, our greatest hope is that all those who as yet found no answer begin to in the pages of the big book to find a power that will solve your problem That's our greatest hope. 
Lastly, greetings to the rest of my spiritual brothers and sisters. Thank you in advance for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this meeting. My hope is that you will be inspired. Please allow me to provide a personal and helpful definition before we begin. The prime energy source from which all creations originate has no right or wrong name. All names that I could come up with originate from within it. Therefore, I will refer to it interchangeably as God, power, energy, force, and spirit. I sought to weave the big book, Bill's story, into my personal story of transformation in order to show how a compulsive eater can truly identify into the big book and in doing so can lead into the action that leads to a transformation with a power greater than oneself. My background. I'm 5'3", 50 years old, African-American. I'm the oldest of three siblings. I have two wonderful brothers, no children, and three beautiful nieces, 15, 12, and 11. Today, I weigh about 122 pounds. My highest weight was 256 pounds. The big book states on page 62, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Here is how my story began. I enjoyed life the most when I was the only child. With my beautiful bedroom, my dolls and toys, the house was always quiet. Most of all, having my dad all to myself was my fondest childhood memory. I enjoyed his sense of humor, riding my tricycle, and going for ice cream. Around the age of four, my parents divorced. My mother and I went to live with her parents alongside a cousin who was like a sister. For years, it was my cousin and I. My grandparents' house was always full of adults. There were lots of family gatherings. Huge Sunday dinners were at grandma's house. I loved being around family and was smothered by them. I have to admit, I enjoy the food the most. Wonderful aunts and uncles who often gave us money. I took my coins and went to buy candy. I was a celebrity for that moment. Being surrounded by playmates 
who wanted what I had. Neighbors were allowed to discipline us. We were never left unattended. I felt loved. In spite of all this happiness, I frequently voiced I wanted to live with my dad, especially when I didn't get my way. I remember my grandmother saying, a girl needed to be living with her mother. My mother never responded. Eventually, my mother went on public assistance. We moved into low-income housing. Grandma lived nearby. My mother ran a home daycare. My closest cousin, along with her mother, lived with us during such periods. I love my school and playmates. As a child, my cousin and I spent a lot of time in church. We attended Sunday school and sang in the choir. I have horrible church memories of seeing my mother screaming and crying and shouting out the word Jesus over and over again making strange sounds. They called it being slayed in the spirit. I recall wanting her to stop. I cried. On Sundays, attending church was required. We couldn't listen to secular music, play double dutch, ride our bikes, run or roller skating the things I enjoyed. All we can do was sit on a front porch, eat, and spend time with family. During my adolescent years, I experienced some major traumatic events. My parents married each other for the second time, we moved out of the housing project and into a suburban neighborhood. I was so happy. But the happiness didn't last long. After I got what I wanted, I realized what I had lost. No longer the close-knitted community. Relatives' visits were infrequent. The relationship with my cousin started to change. The church setting changed. I missed my friends. To the world, I pretended having the ideal family. Looking back, they knew. I grew up in a family where criticism was the norm, not allowed to express my anger, and words such as, I'm sorry, was tossed around in order to get my way. I didn't like my new school. What was so ironic, when I lived in low-income housing, the majority of my classmates were white. At the new school, the majority of my classmates were black and a lot smarter than myself. I had a learning disability and developed 
an identity crisis, I became a lone wolf. Eventually, I did find a friend who turned out to be my longest and dearest friend of 37 years. We were licking wounds buddies. We shared every painful details of our lives together. She had the weight problem, and I had the identity problem. Both of our upbringings were very dysfunctional, to say the least. Our cultural backgrounds were vastly different. We went through all of life's difficult challenges together, supporting each other as best we could. Lastly, I was molested by my teenage godbrother. The biggest mistake was not telling anyone. After he died, I told my parents the truth. To my surprise, they said little and did nothing. The loneliness continued. I suffered and stuffed the pain by turning to food for comfort. Going to the store after school each day to purchase a bag of candy became a habit, hiding such items from my parents. I remember telling my parents I wanted to see a psychologist. My dad said, you don't need to see a shrink. My mother said, all I needed was Jesus. I found my parents' explanation unsatisfactory. The food increased and the pounds were soon noticed. Mom instilled my religious foundation. Dad instilled my spiritual foundation. That sent me on a journey to be a free thinker. I recall dinner each night with my dad would turn into long-winded conversations about spirituality and holistic medicine. I witnessed transformations in my father's life. He had stopped his addiction of drinking and smoking. I became a vegan and began to follow many of his beliefs. My eyes saw my parents as God. They were never wrong. When I didn't agree, I knew enough not to question. During high school, I met my future husband at a summer college prep program. He was extremely bright and stood out in many ways. I recall him as being very religious, loved his mother very much. He accepted my veganism and my holistic lifestyle. He later became one. For me, 
It was love at first sight. He was the first boy who had the courage to converse with my dad. I admired him for his boldness. My dad didn't approve of male friendships. Therefore, our communications over the years were letter writing from time to time. I also have to admit, I was attracted to his lighter skin tone and his long, wavy hair texture. When I graduated from high school, I weighed about 120 pounds. He began to make gestures about the weight gain. While in college, I gained approximately 30 pounds. I was no longer under my father's strict supervision. My eating habits took a drastic change. I went from being a vegan to a vegetarian. Pastas and cheeses became my staple as I began to ditch the raw food. I did cross-country running in high school and in college. It helped with the stress, but it was not enough. I began to enjoy items such as coffee, sodas, and liquish. The potential compulsive eater that I was. Late nights, studying for finals, I had to have my adult-sized bag of liquish. My excuse was, I needed energy to stay awake. As a result, the old fierce determination to win came back. My high school sweetheart and I became engaged in my senior year. I recall making plans to move to Florida where he resided. I didn't tell my parents about my plans right away. I was done with school. Six years to complete a four-year degree was certainly more than enough time. I was burnt out emotionally and mentally drained. I needed a change, a new beginning, a new life. Florida was the answer. Like Bill, I developed a theory that a geographical change would fix everything. I was running from home and other life problems seeking love, and searching for approval. Moving to Florida, it had to be better than returning home. Even if it wasn't the best decision, it certainly wasn't the worst, I thought. It was the best of two evils. So off I went. I purchased a one-way plane ticket to Florida. It was many years before my family and my dearest friend ever saw me again. At the beginning of the marriage, I weighed about 155 pounds. 
I realized immediately, immediately, I made a mistake. But my pride got in the way. Going back home was not an option. Too embarrassed. My dreams of shopping sprees, traveling around the world, living the high society lifestyle were not coming true, not even close. I recall the initial agreement was come to Florida, get an apartment, and date for a while. Instead, I moved in with him and his elderly mother. Sex began right away, which drove me into such a degree of guilt and shame, I forced him to marry me. We were married four months later. Over the next two decades, I embarked on a career in health and human services. At various points, I worked as a case manager, an educational consultant, a supported living coach, a counselor, and a director of a social services agency. That last position put me in charge of a large staff. I loved my career. But the days were long and stressful. That was my dream position. I had arrived. Food had become my dearest and closest friend. Nevertheless, I thought I could control the situation. Gradually, things got worse. My eating, along with other complications, got me fired. I was living a lie. While I may have appeared successful on the outside, I was experiencing a different inner reality. My life was out of balance, way out of balance. But I wasn't ready to face it then. There was too much to do, and the distractions kept me from thinking about my own physical emotional, and spiritual pain. On top of pressure from work, 1998, I was diagnosed with a mental illness, but I refused to address it. Married and a caregiver for an elderly relative who lived with us, a labor of love that was personally enriching and emotionally draining, Work became my means of escape. Driving extensively for my job, I had no time for meal planning. Instead, I bought bags of licorice to chew on between appointments. When I attended professional conferences or led training seminars, there were always tables laden with catered food that satisfied my physical and emotional hunger, bread, pasta, 
Jesus, and dessert. Rather than counting calories, I counted on grabbing quick meals during break. It was okay because I was eating with other people, I recall. I was never one to buy fast food or drink sodas, I would say. But my job was my life and my social outlet, along with my food. While it was hard to ignore my expanding waistline, I still denied my food addiction. I would think, well, if I hit this number on the scale, then I'll do something about it, I would say. My husband threatened many times that he would leave me if I gained over 200 pounds. That didn't stop me. I simply ate more and found more creative ways to get it, such as hiding food in the cars underneath its seat. Embracing the truth. My demanding job and home life cause so much stress. The mind and body is a marvelous mechanism. My endure this agony for nine more years. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I finally broke down and began the roller coaster of psychotropic drugs. In 2007, I was hospitalized for severe depression and anxiety. That was a crushing blow for someone like myself. How dark does it have to get before the dawn? It was a wake-up call. After entering therapy, I began taking medications that stabilized my thoughts and moods. The counseling and care allowed me to rest and reflect on my life and choices. After the relative I have been caring for died, I filed for divorce. Painful as those experiences were, they allowed me to take a break with the past. Work took a backseat because I finally realized that there were other things that mattered just as much or even more. Suddenly, I was able to focus on my life. I moved into my own apartment, a place I called my sanctuary. I also stayed committed to professional health and a supportive team of health care providers to address additional neglected health issues. I began my weight loss journey, successfully dieting with group support. Two years later, through a lot of hard work and determination, I lost 81 pounds. I've gone from a 3X to a size 12. 
The transformation I saw in myself gave me a lot of momentum in every other area of my life. It was as if I stepped on the gas and finally realized I can go 100 miles an hour. In April 2012, I returned home, New Jersey. I moved in with relatives. The numerous stressors from relocating, having been estranged from my family, created a host of problems. I was grieving deeply. All the problems that I ran from 21 years ago quickly resurfaced. I could no longer cope. I went back to using food as a coping mechanism and into the hospital for treatment of severe depression and anxiety. Within seven months, more than half the weight had returned. My weight was approximately 200 pounds. In May 2013, while in Georgia visiting my dad and stepmother, I had a series of emotional breakdowns. I finally decided to look up OA on the website. Somehow, a Vision for You website popped up on the screen. I was led to print out the information and place it in my suitcase. Saturday, May 28th, I returned home. That Monday morning, I dialed into the meeting. There are no words to describe the peace and serenity I felt from that initial phone meeting. I believed I cried. I know I cried for many days and for many months. Every morning, I dialed into the meeting. I listened and took notes. A few days later, I began attending face-to-face -face meetings. My brain was spinning. There was so much to learn. OA was completely foreign to me. It took many months before admitting outwardly I was a compulsive eater. The word abstinence, I kept thinking individuals were talking about sex. And I couldn't figure out on my own what abstinence had to do with food. Finally, I was then given this. Abstinence in Overeaters Anonymous is the action of reframing from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. I began to learn about food plans. I thought then reporting foods every day was the most insane concept I have ever heard. More importantly, 
I was not going to change my dietary habits to a sponsor's request. I thought to myself, I could accept your God stuff and listen to your stories, but your food plan ideas, I certainly don't need a sponsor to help me to lose weight. Thank you very much, but no thanks. About two weeks later, while attending this face-to-face meeting, a right-sized fellow was celebrating one year of abstinence. I told myself that it was going to be me a year from now. I purchased a big book. I read the doctor's opinion over and over and over again. I listened to everything on a Vision for You website titled The Doctor's Opinion. I began to detox. It took approximately three weeks to get through the adverse symptoms. I took one week off from work. My therapist was deeply concerned and deeply worried. I kept missing her appointments. I recall that my speech was slurred, uncontrollable crying spells, severe headaches, stomach pain, dizzy spells, and extreme nervousness. My therapist kept insisting that I admit myself into the hospital for psychiatric treatment. I refused. I survived that awful and unforgettable experience. After three weeks, I was different in many ways. My mind was sharper. I had more energy. Eventually, the weight started coming off again. Giving up my alcoholic substances were not enough for me. I wanted to give up all mood and mind-affecting chemicals. I informed my therapist and physician about my plan. They thought it was an insane idea. They were completely against the idea. I knew I couldn't go cold turkey. I tried that approach many, many times which only made my condition 10 times worse. The doctor finally agreed to slowly reduce the dosage. Every visit, a decrease was made. Every day, I leaned into my program more and more. I listened to everything about step one, then step two, and so on. I read the first 164 pages. I studied everything I can get my hands on. When I got to my fourth step, I remembered the special edition recording dated September 8, 2013 of Lori C. I studied the recording and began to write out my fourth step. When I was done, I did my fifth step with a variety of non-recovered people, my therapist, friends, my priests, and relatives. I did my ninth step, the amends. 
The most profound amends was with my ex-husband, and these are his words to me. Dear Snuffles, Prayer and faith has healed a lot of pain, hurt, and anger. I submit to you it was the prayers and faith of my ancients and elders also. There were times I, when I didn't have the faith. There were times I couldn't pray. Yes, Mama is certainly missed. It was a bad time for me. Not only did I lose my mother, I lost my best friend too, you. There were times I felt all alone in this world. I wish I was a better husband. I wish I was a better person. I too envision us growing old together, sitting on the porch in a swing, pulling down on each other to pens. I think about the good times we had together and the things we did together. Certainly good times, good memories. We are both closing on 50 years old. Can you believe it? I thought at least we could begin a civil conversation. Maybe one day old friends could sit down to a dinner together. Be blessed. This letter is dated December 28, 2013. That was very, very meaningful to me. For the first time, I felt my ex-husband's remorse. It was electrifying. In December, about six months later, I reached my 100-pound weight release. I got off all medications and branded myself as recovered. I had arrived. Surely this was the answer. Self-knowledge. But it was not. For the frightful day came, when I would binge once more. Don't assume that my transformation is about weight loss. As the big book states on page 39, but the actual or potential compulsive eater, with hardly an exception, that means even people on this line were absolutely unable to stop eating on the basis of self-knowledge. I simply didn't know what I was up against. I didn't understand the death this disease could or would take me. It wasn't long until the frightful day will come again. My first anonymous warning came in a phone call to a recovered fellow, my first Evie. 
I knew for sure she would praise me for my good work. I told her how I completed the steps in such a loving and wise way. She replied, The big book states, We have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, not human beings. That statement made me swallow hard. Embracing the truth. In December 2013, I was led to my second Evie, my sponsor. I had prior traveling plans. Therefore, I didn't do the work right away. In December, I went on a cruise. January and February, I vacationed in Georgia and in Florida to complete some amends, but mostly to show off my new body. I, who had thought so well of myself, of my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, I was cornered at last. I received the most shocking news of my life. On January 25th, 2014, my ex-husband died, age 49. The death certificate read natural causes. The autopsy later revealed a trace of bacteria in the colon. He had plunged into the dark joining that endless procession of socks who had gone on before him. I thought of my poor ex-husband. There had been much happiness after all, but that was over now. I thought and I cried for many days and for many nights. That experience since sent a shockwave through my heart and soul. In the midst of my grief, of all my fears and insanity, I stopped dead in my tracks. And somewhere, a voice inside my head cried out, Enough! No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched all around me in all directions. I had been overwhelmed. My dear sponsor and her sponsor supported me as best they could. I was grieving became ill from the stress. Eventually, I returned home. 
In March 2014, I finally began the step work with my recovery sponsor, my second Evie. My fourth step was explosive and unforgettable. I was unblocked in ways decades of counseling never accomplished. In May, I reached my ninth step. I began sponsoring right away. But I neglected to do my 10 steps and my nightly reviews as she suggested. I became stressed and sick again. I reached yet another bottom. In June, while at work, I was rushed to the hospital and admitted for medical complications. I could hardly walk or stand. I thought then I would never walk like I could today. The next day, I stepped from the hospital, a broken woman. How dark it is before the dawn. My job was stressful and demanding. After two months of sick leave, I accepted the reality of my debilitating health condition. Still living with relatives, I had decided to move into the YMCA. My parents and loved ones were upset and quite vocal about my decision. The stress from living with relatives has reached its limits. Finally, I have worked intensively on qualifying for a college scholarship, which I did receive, and had to give it up. That was hard. It was a devastating blow. In reality, that was my last debauch. But I didn't know back then that I was soon to be catapulted into what Bill called the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness, and a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. In June, while in the hospital, I had an intravenous allergic reaction. I began to descend into a dark abyss. I gave back my abstinence for three days. I was scared. I reached out to a food sponsor. She suggested that I said the set-aside prayer and listen to Ruth's special edition presentation entitled, What Do We Mean by Entire Abstinence? Dated May 4th, 2014, which I did. Through the work she has done with me, my eyes began to see a new definition of abstinence. The food, the food sponsor suggested removing nuts from my food plan and, and eliminating a food behavior hand-to-mouth, which I see. Converting from a vegan to a vegetarian was hellish, and that is an understatement. She links me with a nutritionist, 
the nutritionist and I designed the appropriate food plan. In July, I got a new sponsor, my third Ebby. I went through the steps abstinently. I completed the steps August, August 2014. Slowly, very slowly, at a caterpillar's pace, I realized that the God force is in the transformation business. Before I was even fully aware of it, a change was taking place. I became recovered. But I wasn't too well at times. I was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. It didn't matter. Because I was on a different footing, my roots grasped a new soil. My final shocking news. My dearest friend, Sharon, died from the complications of compulsive eating, October 13, 2014, age 49. Her weight, 500 pounds. She had given me her OA materials. She wanted no part of OA. Enough said on that topic. As stated in the big book on page 14, faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. But I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another compulsive eater will save the day. It is a design for living that works in rough going. The joy of living that we really have even under pressure and difficulty. I had it right here and right now. It's only through the grace of the God force that I am alive on this meeting able to share my experience, strength, and hope. Last May, I turned 50. I was in deep sorrow leading up to that day. When the day arrived, I was in high spirit. I went to church that morning and chosen to spend the afternoon in the park with my ex-husband and my dearest friend. I felt their presence and messages of hope and strength to carry on as strong as the sun was beaming down on me. Last May, I moved into my own apartment. Last September, I attended the first A Vision for You conference. That was a complete miracle in itself. I am so grateful to my dearest sponsor, who is my second Ebby, and my supportive parents for making it all possible. Most of all, I am grateful to the God for it. The big book states on 
page 64. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. I haven't had to take psychotropic drugs since November of 2013. My therapist is still amazed with the transformation and now shares the OA 12-step program with others. My walking has improved. Three major illnesses have completely went away. All I wanted were to lose some weight. Look what happened. What a surprise. I am so grateful to be in the dawn today. What is life like today? For me, that's living in 10, 11, and 12. The big book states on page 50, thousands of men and women flatly declare that since they came to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude towards that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. I am a grateful compulsive eater, living in the, the solution one day at a time. Going forward, my focus is on staying healthy, nurturing new relationships, and sharing what I have learned. I am at peace with myself, my body, and my life. On page 88, the big book states, we are undisciplined. So we let our higher power discipline us in the simple way. Yes, I must keep it simple. That statement was not easy. The special edition date, dated January 26, 2015, entitled Keeping It Simple by Penny C. Help me with that. And what? I am suggesting. Step one, the physical discipline. The real key is keeping my energy balanced. No sugar highs or caffeine crashes for me. It's all about having a twinkle in the eye and remembering to embrace every minute of the day. Step 10 the emotional discipline. When I have a negative emotion, I immediately nip it in the bud. Action. There is nothing unusual about being anxious. Since everyone is anxious more often than I might think. I am learning to be more patient to and with my anxiety. To explore it and to come to terms with it without turning to my alcoholic substances or drugs or other drugs to allay them. Rather than running away because of emotions, like a little child who gets scared and flees, when I am faced with adversity, I step forward, not back. I review the situation and take action. In fact, if I am present and breathing fully, 
Anxiety can be energizing. A kind of tonic that helps me be more productive and aware of what I am doing. As a side note, the special edition presentation dated October 27, 2013, entitled Step 10, Louisa. Louisa, Harlan, and Leah role-played the 10-step process has been most helpful. Step 11, suggest prayer and meditation. The big book states on page 86 and 87, we ask our higher power to direct our thinking, especially that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. We ask our higher power for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. As we go through the day, when agitated or doubtful, we ask our higher power for the right thought or action. Having a regular spiritual practice gives me a sense of inner peace. It's important to find time to listen to my inner voice. I recall asking my sponsor how to meditate. She simply replied, to do nothing. Doing nothing is an activity. I was on my way. Today, I broaden my horizons so I don't stagnate. Also, I make sure to leave some gaps in my busy schedule to recharge my battery. It's easy for me to fly from one full-on activity to another without any downtime. But it's in the quieter moments that I really get to know myself. I make sure the pace doesn't stop me from having honest moments of contemplation. I can't expect myself to run on all cylinders 100% of the time. The value of quiet time to meditate on my deepest hopes and desires really can't be underestimated. I recognize the only real security in life comes from within. While I can work hard to build my finances, to find the right friends and the right partner, and foresee every possible mishap, ultimately, none of the external structures that I use to give myself confidence will always work for me. Things can and do go wrong, and, it, and the supports that I rely on inevitably change. Therefore, growth and finding support in my own inner knowing, finding the place inside myself that is quiet, strong, and capable. But this did not happen by itself. Discovering these inner resources took time and work. Although, fortunately, I understand the usefulness of perseverance and dedication, I know firsthand the value of discovering my inner resources when I take the time to relax my constant negativity and find faith within. Step 12, working with others. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want it and need it badly. 
here's what the beach book says about working with others on page 180. I do it for four reasons. Number one, a sense of duty. Number two, it's a pleasure. Number three, because in doing so, I am paying my debt to the person who took the time to pass it on to me. And number four, because every time, I, every time when I do it, I take out a little, little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. There are countless fellows, starting with my sponsors, but my greatest teachers were sponsees themselves. They are my most valuable resource. The special, the special edition presentation I have found most helpful, dated July 27, 2014, Working with Others by Kim G. Working with others include relationships in and out of program, finding balance and demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. There has been a miraculous transformation in this area. These are the changes I have seen. Today, I acknowledge my real feelings. I express my needs as they arise. I pay attention to my feelings and inner state. As a result, I have naturally grown to find a balance between taking care of myself and the natural inclination to help others. I have become more conscious of my own motives. While doing good things for people is certainly an admirable trait, when I do so because I expect other people to appreciate me or do something nice for me in return, I now realize I'm setting myself up for disappointment. I have a real danger of falling into unconscious, codependent patterns with loved ones and they almost never bring me what I really want. While there are many things I might do for people, I am learning it is often better to ask them what they really want, need first. I am gifted at accurately intuing others' feelings and needs, but that does not necessarily mean they want those needs remedied by me in the way I have in mind. I am learning to communicate my intention and willing to accept a no thank you. Someone deciding they do not want my particular offer of help, I am learning that it does not mean that they dislike me or they are rejecting me. I am learning to resist temptations to call attention to myself and my good works. After I have done something for others, I do not remind them about it. I let it be. Either they, will, either they will remember my kindness themselves and thank me in their own way, or they will not. I have learned calling attention to what I have done for others only put people on the spot and make them feel uneasy. I am no longer, quote, unquote, doing for people. And above all, I no longer try to get people to love me by giving them either gifts or undeserved phrases. On the other hand, I do not pointedly withdraw services when others do not respond to me like I would like them to. I help others 
when I am asked for it, particularly in helping them to become more capable of functioning on their own. I no longer wait for a loving response in order to feel lovable. I recognize my true strengths and limitations and accept them and extending support and love to myself that I would easily offer to someone else. I also accept, I also attempt to foster independence in others, nurturing self-confidence, strength, and new skills so that others can grow on their own. I really want everyone to thrive and do not want anyone to be dependent on me physically or psychologically. I let people know the good I see in them, a quality that is particularly helpful to those who do not see much good in themselves. Today, I treat others with divine love and respect as a result of these 12 steps. In closing, I am grateful that I can look at my story and tell it from a recovery perspective. As I said earlier, I move at a caterpillar's pace. I am spinning my cocoon to the design of the 12 steps. I will emerge free as a butterfly. That is a promise that God for us always keeps. There is great love here for you. I am encouraging you to live it forward and understand it backwards. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Santa, for sharing your remarkable story of transformation with all of us this morning. Thank you so much. Santa's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We'll transition now to questions for Santa. If you have a question you'd like to direct to Santi, you can press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. This is Rosalyn. M. Rosalyn. Matt M. Matt M. Carol G. And Carol G. This is Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. Okay. Rosalyn, why don't we get started with you? Hi, this is Rosalyn C., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Santa, I just want to thank you for your outstanding uh, message to us and just thank you for the spiritual advising that you um, also have given. Um, There is no question. I just hear your story as a story that we all have shared, and uh, I just commend you on your tenacity to... um, to keep going and that we should all uh, be encouraged that there is hope and there is strength in the process as we continue to go. I just want to thank you, and um, with that, I pass. All right, Rosalind, thank you. Matt M., your question, please. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Santa, for your wonderful story of transformation. I really related to it on multiple levels. Um, Yeah. I have a situation that I, I heard your story that I kind of think I got the answer for it. You talked about codependency. You know, I recently had a situation where I had a sponsor who was a friend of mine. It didn't work out for many reasons. 
but the biggest reason is my tendency to be a pathological liar, and I don't know why I do it. It just comes out of me like, like, like water out of a faucet. And I'm finally in touch with it, and I'm dealing with it one day at a time. I got a new sponsor right away, and my friend had to drop me. You know, the generous friend, you know, talks about in the big book, had to drop me. I don't know if I'll ever be friends with them again. I don't because right now they're very angry with me, and they have I absolutely have a reason to be angry with me. I see it. I'm not saying that I actually see it. They wouldn't believe me if I told them I saw it. They would just think I'm blowing smoke. But what I want to say is, like, what do I do with the situation? Because it's eating away at me, but I'm not eating over it. And how do I deal with the situation when someone I really care about so much is so angry with me? And how do I deal if that relationship doesn't come together using the big book? Because that's why I wanted to ask. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Matt, for your question. Um, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and I go back to what I shared with you back then. Um, work the step. Recover, recover, recover. When you get to step four, you will get the truth. You'll get the answer to these questions. Lean into your program. Work your program. Make that number one. And when you get through these steps, all will be revealed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Matt, for your question. Carol G., your turn. Leia. Hi. Good morning. It's Carol G. Sorry, I always have muting issues. Good morning, Santa. And so, oh, thank you so much. That was wonderful to listen to. Um, question. Um, it's Carol, sorry, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, very grateful this morning. We've had some great chats about working with others, Anya. I know you've got so much to give. It's wonderful. And I like how you use this perspective of seeing things from self-seeking uh, angle as well. And I was wondering if you could take that into more detail. For example, um, can you share with us uh, a little bit more detail about how you'd help someone else found them, find themselves? in the chapter How It Works, page 6063, with regard to their selfishness, self-seeking, uh, or any area of their utopia. That would be wonderful, please, Santa. Hmm. Thank you for the question, Carol. Self-seeking, how do I help others find themselves? I think the answer is all within. My job as a, as a sponsor and as a co-fellow in this program is to lead people into the steps. And, to lead, and the steps lead us to, our, to a power greater than ourselves. And every time I take a sponsor back into themselves within for the solution, which, which, which they get through the steps, they get that question answered every time. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Carol G. Carolyn S.H., your turn. Hi, yeah, thank you, Leah. Good good morning. This is Carolyn S.H. in Massachusetts. Um, Santa, first I want to say thank you so much. It was so lovely to hear you. Um, I find your story extremely inspiring, and um, I've always enjoyed uh, speaking with you and gotten so much out of your recovery. Um, and I would just love to hear more um, about your relationship with your higher power um, you've definitely talked about this, but um, you might feel uh, this question's been answered, but I would just love to hear more about what it's like for you now versus what it was like then in terms of your relationship to higher power. And I think you quoted page 14 about faith has to go with us 
hours a day or we perish. And I want to, I would love to hear what that's like for you. Hmm. Thank you, Carolyn. That's a very good question. Um, prior to program, I, I, I believe, they were, I always believed in a power greater than myself. I just didn't have a relationship with it like I have today. Um, prior to this program, um, my, my ex-husband was a minister. So my God was his God. And um, prior to that, it was my mother and my, my parents, their God. But I never chose my own higher power. And so what life is like for me today and, and what happened was amazing for me was that when I came into this program, uh, my higher power gave me a wonderful gift that I, at that time I, just, I thought it was wrapped up pretty poorly, um, that my sponsor was not, of my, was not a believer. And back then I was a believer, a Christian. Today I'm not. And I said, God, you've got to be kidding me. And from, the, from that perspective, being able to go back to the beliefs that my dad gave me, planted that seed that, to know one religion is like knowing none at all, and going back to being a free thinker, that was a gift that my higher power gave to me through my sponsor that I um, have today um, to be able to, to find my own higher power. So today for me, my higher power um, comes first. It's paramount. I mean, um, for example, those who know me, I'm up every day, seven days a week, one to two o'clock in the morning, and I'm in meditation um, until 3.30. The alarm has to go off to stop me from spending time my higher power. And then, you know, I've worked the rest of my program throughout the day, working with others and so forth and so on on the meeting um, and every morning. After that, working with others. And then after lunch, I have another time with my higher power. I'm checking back in um, for an hour. And then I check back in with my higher power in the evening um, where I'm doing my nightly reviews. And so throughout the day, um, I'm constantly, two things I say to my higher power, thank you and thy will be done. And those are my words. They're like mantras in my head today. So I keep myself placed in neutrality. I don't allow myself to get out of neutrality. I, I, I am an anxious person by nature, so I have to get up every morning and put my higher power first. And I have to quiet my thinking and get centered. And I stay there. And when I get out of that, that position, thank God for the 10th step. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Carolyn S.H., for that question. Anyone else with questions this morning for Santa? Star one to unmute. Suji. Suji. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation for questions. Yeah, uh, this is Susan L. Susan L. Okay. All right, Suji, go ahead with your question, please. Hi, thanks for your service. Uh, thank you, Santa, so much for being so organized um, and being so orderly, just so everything in order, so so easy to follow. My question to you is that... Um, I'm wondering what kind of meditation you do. I mean, you, you gave us a short, I do this and I do that, what you say, but how, what, can, what do you do that, that, that can take three hours? Um, certainly that's not what the big book meant. 
Um, I do meditation, but it's only like 15 minutes. I'm just wondering what what, uh, what you can share with us to help us to extend that. Thank you. Well, I, I think you, you answered the question, Suji. The big book doesn't give us a timeline. It says it suggests prayer and meditation. So what my sponsor said to me, and I, and I will pass it back on to you, is that um, to get me started with meditation is to do nothing. Nothing is an activity. And I grew from there. And to go into different meditation modalities, I think that's an outside issue. And if you want to call me on a, one-on-one, I'd be more than happy to go into details. But for the purpose of this meeting, I don't think that I wanted to, to confuse other people by making it more difficult than what it has to be. But you have to realize, I started out where I couldn't, I couldn't sit for a minute, but my relationship has evolved to where it is today. But if you give me a call, I'd be more than happy to go into more detail. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Suji, for your question. Thank you, Santa. Susan L., go ahead, please. Yeah, hi. I don't know if I really understood what you said, but did you say that you are a non-believer now, but you didn't used to be? And if so, how do you um, work with the program, which is is so um, geared towards a higher power, belief in a higher power? And also, what are the other meetings for people who um, do not believe in a higher power or God. Thank you. Thank you. That's a very good question. I'm going to take you straight to the book on that question. Um, let me just get, turn to where I want to be. It says in the book here, um, let us know we as Gnostics. To much our reads, we discover we did not need to consider another concept of God, our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make an approach in effort to contact with him. Soon as we admitted the possible existence of, of a creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, underlying the totality of things, we began to possess a new power direction provided we take these simple steps. God does not speak too, too hard terms to those who seek him. To the realm of the spirit is broad and roaming exclusive and never exclusive, forbidding any of those who earnestly seek him. It's open to all who believe. And so that's all we need to do. We just need to have our own conception of a higher power, whatever that means to us. On top of page 47, it says, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your conception of God. This applies to, to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. We do not let any prejudice against spiritual terms deter you from honestly answering yourself what that means to you. At that, at that start, this is a will. We all need to commit spiritual growth. So that's all we have to have. I consider myself a spiritual being having a human experience. I am not a believer. I don't consider myself as agnostic. I don't consider myself an atheist. I consider myself a spiritual being having a human experience. And so this program has allowed me to choose the conception that works for me and, and that for anybody can choose their own conception. And that's the beauty of this program. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Susan L., for that question. Thank you, Santa, for using the beauty of the text in those responses. And, of course, thank you for sharing your story of personal transformation as a result of the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Thank you very much for sharing such a powerful message of hope to everyone on the line this morning. And I'm going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only, 
we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.